NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Arnold. You're listening to the podcast where we break down former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking about former NBA point guard Tim Hardaway and whether or not he should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And join us in just a moment to discuss Tim Hardaway's career is senior writer for 538, Neil Payne. But before I bring Neil on, let's talk quickly about Tim Hardaway's career. Hardaway, Hardaway played from 1990 to 2003 for a series of teams, but most notably the Golden State Warriors in the Miami Heat. Uh, over his NBA career, he averaged 18 points per game, three boards and eight assists, and shot 43% from the field, uh, 36% from three, and 78% from the free throw line. Uh, Tim Hardaway is a five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA team member, including a first team uh, in 97. He had three top 10 MVP finishes during his career, including finishing fourth in the MVP voting in 1997. Also won a gold medal in Athens as part of the uh, USA men's basketball team um, in 2000. Uh, he also, Neil and I actually bring this in the pod, but I want to bring it up again, just cause it's, it's kind of shocking when you see this, it's the stat itself kind of made up, but it just shows how good of a player Tim Hardaway was, especially at his peak, uh, and especially early on in his career. But Tim Hardaway reached the 5,000 point, 2,500 assist, uh, marks, benchmarks faster than any other NBA player in history outside of Oscar Robinson. So that is elite company Hardaway keeps. And again, 5,000 points, 2,500 assists. That's not some benchmark we bring up at any time. It just shows that he came out of the gate firing and really was an elite scorer and a distributor early on in his career. And Neil and I are going to talk about that a little bit more on the podcast. So um, with the quick stats of Tim Hardaway and his career out of the way, let's bring on Neil. <laughs> All right, so returning to the pod, senior writer for 538, Neil Payne. Neil, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be, I think this is the third time that we've uh, we've done this, the second basketball-related episode, though. Co correct. First time around, Andre Kurlenko. Second time around, we shifted to baseball gear. We are back to basketball today, talking pretty specifically about the 90s NBA, which is Honestly, my sweet spot. Love to talk about it. And that is because we are talking about former Golden State Warrior, Miami Heat point guard, Tim Hardaway, and whether or not he should be in the Hall of Fame. And Tim Hardaway, you know, he retired back in 2003. He's been eligible for quite some time. He's been a finalist before, but never gone in. And he is again in 2021 a nominee. So today we're going to talk a little bit about his career, um, whether or not we think he should be in the Hall of Fame whether you think we think he will end up in the hall one day uh, and kind of come to that conclusion near the end. But, Neil, you've been on the pod quite a bit. You understand the format here. So first things first, when you think of Tim Hardaway, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I think about two things, but the first of those two things is just his signature move, the killer crossover. Uh, I'm not even sure, you know, going back and looking at like there was a, it was just implanted in my head. Like the second that uh, we talked about doing a Tim Hardaway episode, 
the the first thing it just was like somewhere in the recesses of my mind it was like crossover yeah and looking back at the highlights i'm not even sure it was like the best uh crossover it certainly i don't think was the most influential i think alan iverson's was more influential and cooler i think objectively uh especially i can remember people trying to mimic it as a um uh, when I was playing growing up in the 90s and, and 2000s. But it was, I think, the first crossover that I could remember being notable enough to kind of create a reputation for a player around that move in the same way that, like, the skyhook is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the finger roll is George Gerben. So it's sort of like the killer crossover. First player, I mean, probably, you know, some people might correct me and say, actually, it was, I don't know, Lenny Wilkins. I, I don't know who, but that's the point is I can't remember there being a player uh, known for the crossover before Tim Hardaway came along. Uh, and it also had a great nickname. It was called the UTEP Two-Step, the University of Texas El Paso, which is where Tim Hardaway uh, went for college. So they, they called it that little fun nickname that I think helped it uh, be, be widely known. Um, and I think the best part is when you watch the highlights, it's, it's very quick, it's explosive. And unlike Iverson, unlike some of the guys afterward, nothing is really embellished, you know, for effect. There's no like wasted movement. There's no kind of palming even un under the ball. I think they were a little more strict about calling that back then anyway. Uh, but he just changes direction really quickly, like faster than the defender can react. And if the defender somehow has a way to kind of react and get in front of it, he has a great counter uh, that you can kind of see him go in both directions. Like he loves to go to his right, uh, like most players do uh, who are right-handed, but then he can kind of turn it back the other way. And he has a, a triple counter, a third counter to the counter, which is uh, something that actually we were taught growing up in basketball camp. I remember very distinctly, they called it the Hardaway move. It wasn't for Penny Hardaway. It was for Tim Hardaway. It was the between, it was crossover between the legs and then behind the back. So it's sort of like if, the, if you somehow don't shake the guy with the first move or the counter, you can go behind the back and then kind of go back in the original direction that you wanted to. And he does that in, in highlights. You can kind of see him you know, uh, size guys up and, and try to wait. He does this little like kind of shoulder dip. Uh, and sometimes the shoulder dip signals that he is just going to blow right past you in his original direction. But sometimes he'll throw the shoulder dip in there to make the guy think that he's going to, uh, here comes the crossover. And then it's actually sort of like a double fake. Uh, and he'll, so he like played games with it. He had like strategy to it. And, um, uh, it was like a, a surgeon almost, you know, sizing guys up and, and knowing when to strike. So to me, that's the number one thing that that uh, comes to mind is the killer crossover. And the way you're nodding your head, I think you agree as well. What I have written down here, and, I, you know, I think I think if Iverson never comes along, we think of Tim Hardaway even more for the crossover. As you said, when I think of a crossover, I associate it with Iverson first, but Tim Hardaway is the second person I do. I think Iverson made it so famous too, just because there's that highlight, I think that it's replayed anytime the NBA has a chance to, which is when he does it on Jordan. I mean, yes. that, that is like the ultimate Iverson highlight, right? Early his career. I don't know if Tim Hardaway has as noticeable of a highlight of him crossing up an all-time great. I'm sure he did, but as, as you said, it was just as, uh, I mean, it's not as, um, God, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Iverson's is very extreme and extravagant like you you see it coming again it's highlight worthy 
Tim Hardaway's was a little more subtle, but at the same time, it was super effective. And, you know, we got to remember, Hardaway was, I don't remember him being this small, but when I watched back on his game type, the guy was super tiny, about six foot. He's probably more 5'11", 175 pounds, but he used that to be able to get to the hoop. I mean, he was a pretty good finisher around the rim at that size, and especially before that knee injury he had, Pretty early on in his career, he was one of the quickest guys in the NBA. And handles-wise, not many people better than him. I mean, he really, we'll we're, we're talk a little bit later about who he reminds us in the Hall of Fame. But as today's game, his handles, I think we're on par with like a Kyrie Irving. I was like, thinking that, exactly that. that. That's yeah, who like he a Kyrie. reminds me of in terms of how he kind of moves around. Um, you know, later on in his career, when he was on the heat after that injury, wasn't as quick, but still he could get to his spots due to his excellent ball handling skills, which allowed him to be one of the better point guards of the 90s, which uh, we have something very fun planned for later in the podcast to talk about that. But moving on, Neil, um, our, our next segment here, it's it's that memorable moment. And again, what we try to do here is pinpoint either, you know, a game, a season, a playoff series. Something about Tim Hardaway where you say, you know, that's the most memorable moment of his career. For Hardaway, I, I had a few down here. I'm interested to know, what, what do you think his most memorable moment was? Well, you know, uh, so, well, first of all, the second thing that came to mind, which I think ties into this sum, is about being a member of Run TMC, which was the team, uh, the Warriors team that also had Mitch Richmond and Chris Mullen. He was the T in yep. the TMC. Uh, but that didn't really produce many memorable moments, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. It's kind of funny because you would think, especially, you know, we're having this conversation right now as the, you know, talking about him potentially being in the hall of fame and we'll reserve judgment for the end. But the fact that we're even having the conversation means that potentially there were three hall of famers on that team. And yet they didn't really do much in the postseason. It's a, we, we think of three hall of famers being on a team. We think of a big three, like, you know, Garnett and Allen and Pierce, you know, and uh, some of the teams that we've seen, you know, the Warriors had a big four for a while there. Uh, but uh, that's that's not necessarily what the Warriors did in the 90s with that team. So it didn't really produce that many memorable moments. To me, the memorable moment for Hardaway was uh, the best game of his career, I think, game seven of the 1997 East semis against the New York Knicks. And there was so much background in that game there was so much to dive into uh that that i think really sometimes gets forgotten uh that rivalry has kind of receded into the background mainly because the knicks have not held up their end of the bargain in a long time it sort of was the last time that the knicks were one of the last times that they were relevant uh in a lot of ways and so uh it's easy to forget that there was a bitter rivalry between the heat and the knicks at that time 1998 was when obviously Jeff Van Gundy grabbed the the legs of Alonzo Mourning in that brawl. But 97, there already had been bad blood because Pat Riley had been the coach of the Knicks uh, a couple of years before he left the Knicks uh, and, and I think initially became a broadcaster, but then very quickly took over the heat both as coach and uh, GM or, you know, deci personnel decision maker. Uh, and the Knicks accused the Heat of tampering with Riley while he was still under contract with them and that it kind of had been orchestrated. And it ended up costing Miami a first round pick. So there was something there. There was some fire to go with that smoke. And in that 97 series, uh, New York was up 3-1. 
And then Miami had this great game in game five. They won and there was a big brawl at the end of the game. Uh, I think it was PJ Brown and Charlie Ward got into it and Brown kind of body slammed or flipped over Charlie Ward. Uh, but somehow a bunch of Knicks were suspended. The only Heat player who was suspended for, and it was spread out. It was kind of weird. It was spread out over game six and seven. So not the same guys were suspended for both games, but some Knicks were suspended for both. And P.J. Brown was the only Heat player to be suspended. So then the Heat won game six at Madison Square Garden, setting up this do-or-die, all-or-nothing game seven in at the Miami Arena. And in that game, Tim Hardaway scored 38 points. He had seven assists, five steals. He played 45 minutes. Uh, the team was plus 16 when he was on the court. They were minus five when he wasn't on the court. And just watching the highlights from that game – some of what Tim Hardaway did in that game was shockingly modern. He was hitting pull-up threes off the dribble after doing his crossover. Like he would go past guys, but then set them up to kind of back off on him and then do pull-ups that reminded me of guys. Now Kyrie is a good example of that. James Harden, uh, you know, kind of in that same vein, shockingly modern to look back given the way that the the game was then yes there was a shorter three-point line in the 1997 season uh than there is now but uh tim hardaway was six of ten from three in that game that was actually the most threes any player had ever made in a game seven in nba history to that point uh was the six threes and yeah they they went to the conference finals they got absolutely steamrolled i think it was four to one uh by the jordan bulls in the eastern conference final which like you know that that heat team was not gonna beat them though the bulls had dispatched uh in a sweep a probably much more talented orlando magic team just the year before in the eastern conference final so you know the heat were were heavy underdogs there but for hardaway i mean just the fact that he was a part of that big part of that rivalry with the knicks uh that he had such a great performance in a game seven and it was sort of the the cherry on top of a really great season for him he was fourth in mvp voting he was first team all nba guard uh and it just was an amazing peak moment for his peak season of his career so to me that is the the memorable moment for tim hardaway yeah and you covered a lot of great stuff neil, neil the one thing that i would say one of the more surprising things when i was looking into this more was tim hardaway is a three-point shooter i don't that that was not something that like came to mind when I thought of his career and you brought up, he made six threes in that game. And that was uh, back then. I know today, anyone listening that maybe just started the NBA, listen to the NBA or watching the NBA. I mean, that's what uh, Steph Curry does in like a half now, but back then that, that was a ton. I mean, I was looking at um, back in the nineties, the three point, like what a normal game looked like. So Tim Hardaway made six threes in that game. In the 90s, um, on average, teams attempted 11 threes a game, and they made four threes a game. So Tim Hardaway was two over the average a team made per game there. If anyone wants to know now, um, like what last season, what the averages were, uh, people were shooting. Um, <laughs> what do I got here? It's kind of insane. The, the 34, it is insane. 34 attempts a game, making 12 now. So it's just a different game, right? But you yeah. look back and as you said, he kind of, and we'll get to this a little later, but he was almost a little um, ahead of his time. Uh, he, he was a, he could play in today's NBA and he would, he would shoot more threes because he was, even though he was this guy who could make threes, 
I mean, his best season, he's making 2.73s a game. He's, he's taken like six a game. Now those numbers, he'd be, make, he'd be shooting 11, 12 a game. And then, again, today's point guards, to the primary guy scoring. Back in the 90s, that was not the case. Point guards were not the scores. There was elite shooting guards back then. Centers back then dominated the landscape. Point guards' jobs were to distribute the ball, which Tim Hardaway did very well, but he could shoot the rock very well. And as you said, that heat game, I mean, that really, that whole season, I guess, was his probably most monumental season. And to make All-NBA first team in the 90s Not easy. Is, is a big deal because let's remember, Jordan has one of those slots every single time, except for when he's retired. So there's already one, there's only one slot available on that team. And then you're fighting with people like, I mean, Gary Payne's playing in that time. I mean, if you want to think of how hard it was to make the All-NBA team in general in the 90s, look at Reggie Miller, right? He got in the Hall of Fame first ballot. He only made the All-NBA team three times at the guard position throughout the 90s, and it was third team. Tim Hardaway made the second team three times, first team once, third team once. He made five All-NBA teams in the 90s when, I mean, Stockton's playing that whole time, Gary Payne, Penny Hardaway. There are some elite guards that Tim Hardaway is up against, and he was consistently one of the two, three, four best guards of the time, um, you know, with that 97 season being his best in terms of all NBA performance. So um, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that, Neil. I had that down, but one other thing I want to point out before we move on here, you brought up his time with the run team C team, which when I look back at that roster, what a fun team to just watch on TV. I mean, we, we look at the Warriors from the mid, um, you know, 2010s as one of the most entertaining teams, but a team with Richmond, Mullen, and Hardaway running up and down the court. And again, they were a little behind their, ahead of their time, right? Richmond shot threes, Hardaway shot threes, Mullen shot threes. Um, they were out shooting anyone back then. Today's NBA, they'd be insane how many points they'd be putting up a game. Um, he did have one performance I want to call out. It was, it was in the 91 playoffs. Um, that team, actually, they were a seven seed. They upset the number two seed in the first round, the Spurs with David Robinson, make it to the second round where they play the Lakers, who made it to the finals that year against the Bulls. Game two of that series, they only won one game, but Hardaway goes, you know, mano a mano against Magic Johnson, puts up a 28-point, 14-assist performance, but also has eight steals in the game. And before that injury, he was actually really good at pickpocketing players. He, he averaged over two steals a game, I think, his first couple seasons in the league. But that eight steals in a playoff game tied the NBA record. And he actually tied the record again the next year with eight steals in that playoff. So Hardaway, again, he, he wasn't making all defensive team or anything like that. I don't think he was big enough. He wasn't physical enough to match up against some of the bigger players. But at the same time, he was an excellent guy who to jump lanes, to the speed he had on the court to jump around and pickpocket people, it, it was pretty unique. And to get eight steals in a playoff game, especially against someone like Magic Johnson, which they weren't all against Magic Johnson, but that's who he was guarding, it is pretty impressive. So I wanted to bring that up too. And then, Neil, before we move on, we, we kind of talked about this with, with Gary Sheffield of what team do you associate Sheffield with? That was a little more difficult. He played for a bunch of teams. Hardaway, it's really Heat or Warriors. Who do you associate him with most? 
I do associate him with the heat just because of that 97 season. And I think I was a little bit older and maybe paying more attention to the NBA by that point than when he was on golden state. Cause he left them by 96 and really truth be told, they hadn't made the playoffs uh, since 92 before that anyway. So it really was like, he was not burned into my brain as a uh, warrior when I was growing up, it was really only sort of in retrospect when you start digging into the numbers, when you hear about people talk about run TMC, then you kind of look up because, uh, and, and you look up those teams and you realize like Mitch Richmond to me was a King and he's on the Warriors at that time. Yep. Chris Mullen, you know, was kind of on the Warriors. I remember him being, but I mean, he played for other teams after. I remember him being on Indiana, uh, the team that kind of challenged Jordan's Bulls. So to realize that he was on the Warriors, and then you're like, wait a second, all these guys that are known as being sort of all-star, if not better, type players, they were all on the same team in the early 90s, really? And then you look at it and, yeah, kind of ask the question of why they didn't win more. So I think that's why he's not associated. But to your point, I mean, that's a great point that he played really well in that 91 playoff uh, run that they had and elevated his game compared with a regular season. I think he did that on a number of occasions such that we would consider him probably like, a, a you know, like a money player. Uh, if, if we were yep. talking about him now as a guy that like, usually like he had some duds, the 96 uh, playoffs, he only played three games and was not very good in that uh, run. But aside from that, I mean, he really, until he phased out of the prime of his career, he tended to elevate his game in the playoffs, which I think is something that we give probably more credit to now than we, we would give players credit for back in the, you know, 80s and 90s, just because the the ring obsession had not quite become what it what it is now. And uh, it was only kind of in its nascent form. And so this idea of being like a money player, you know, was more of like a feeling that you had, but we didn't hold it against a player if they if they didn't elevate their game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you do look at his playoffs, that 91 playoffs I mentioned across nine games, it's just two series, but he averaged 25 points a game, 11 assists and three steals. That's crazy. Play, yeah, That's it, pretty it, good I mean, playoff yeah, stats, you think about, man. Yeah, you think of anyone doing that today, we're talking about how great of a series they had. So yeah, It's like Donovan um, Mitchell or uh, you know somebody like that from last year. Exactly. And, and just one last thing here. The biggest what if for me, those early Warriors teams, there's so many misses, but he gets hurt. He, and again, it alters career. He misses the entire 93-94 season. That was the season they dra- they got Chris Weber in the first round. So Tim Hardaway missed the team with Weber. The only year he played for the Warriors because they traded him away after one year. But the one year Weber was on the team, Tim Hardaway did not play. That team had Latrell Sprewell on it as well. So I, I can, they only lost in the first round that year. But I only imagine if he was healthy, a Tim Hardaway, Chris Weber, Sprewell, Mullen team, wh- what they could have done in the West because – to me, I know Weber was a rookie, but still he came out firing one rookie of the year. That team could have done some damage. If Weber doesn't get traded, who knows where they go? Um, it's just yeah. a really interesting what if. If Tim Hardaway doesn't get injured, what, what, what do we think of that Warriors team? Does he stay there? Does he never get traded the Heat? It's just very interesting for me to think that because that team could have grown into something special to maybe be a, 
you know, a team playing in the uh, in the finals against the Bulls in the late uh, 90s instead of Utah and, uh, and, and Seattle. Uh, yeah. 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 And, and to me, that is a great what if because, you know, they traded Mitch Richmond. Uh, and I think that I, I guess I don't necessarily know the um, the politics behind yeah, that, whether either. it was trying to kind of get younger or whatever. I do know they got Billy Owens, who was a number three overall pick. So like elite prospect, I think he went to Syracuse uh, from that trade. But he only lasted three years in Golden State. He was traded for Ronnie Cycli. Uh, they traded Chris Weber, like you said, for Tom Gugliotta and then immediately traded him for Danielle Marshall. They uh, they had Spreewell there, but uh, he didn't, you know, some some of the years he didn't play a full season. They had Sarunas Marcellonis, who's a guy that people forget also, and he missed like a whole season in there. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. And so yeah. they... Um, they couldn't after after they uh, traded away Richmond. They couldn't quite replicate that like third star to go with uh, Mullen and uh, Hardaway, and they just kept cycling through these guys that they thought, oh well, maybe it'll be uh, Billy Owens, maybe it'll be Chris Gatling, maybe it'll be you know Sarunas Marcellonis, and they never really found that third guy that was both healthy and good enough to sort of um, uh, be a supporting player alongside those two, and then. Uh, obviously it just sort of broke up after that. Um, and, and that was the end of that era. So I was really surprised in the research of this, that run TMC, as much as we talk about it, the three of them being together only were two seasons together. They, it only lasted two seasons. Um, and we think of it as being longer, at least in my mind, it's like, Oh, that was an era. Well, the, the Hardaway Mullen era lasted, I think six seasons and there were 10 games under 500 over those seasons. Uh, but the, the run TMC itself with that three, uh, hall of famer, well, potential hall of famer core only lasted two years. Yeah. I thought Richmond was there longer too, but I, I forgot Spreewell came in and there was a lot of players going in and out of that organization. I think they let go maybe a little too early, but, um, you know, the Warriors have made up for it with uh, their recent run. So yeah, they have. I feel too sorry for that (laughs) franchise. Yeah. Um, So Neil, moving to our final mini segment here, we call this and twins. Again, this is where we look at, you know, someone in the hall of fame today that most reminds you of Tim Hardaway, whether it be how their career panned out or just their overall style of play. So when it comes to Tim Hardaway, who would you say his twin is that's in the Hall of Fame today? Well, this one might be a little bit on the favorable side to Hardaway in terms of comparing up, but I don't think it's that inept. So I kind of want to compare him to Isaiah Thomas. Uh, So Obviously, Isaiah Thomas was the better player. He had more playoff value in particular in his career. But in terms of player types, they were surprisingly similar. Similar size. Isaiah was 6'1", 180. Uh, Tim Hardaway, Tim Bug was six foot 175. Might have been a little shorter, but I think both of those guys, you know, it's uh, you know how heights are in the NBA. Uh, both great floor generals, a lot of assists. They could also score, which to your point was kind of, you didn't see as much from a point guard at that time. They also both shot threes at a pretty high volume for their era, especially like, you know, Isaiah, it's a little tough to, to talk about three point shooting in the eighties, just because teams didn't really do it that much, but he was well above the average volume uh, of his time and Hardaway also I think uh, at basketball reference they show the rate at which you sort of take threes as a share of your shots uh, compared with the league this is a new feature that they added I'm plugging features for them but it's under this adjusted shooting category and 
Tim Hardaway shot threes at a rate 128% higher than league average uh, over the course of his career. Um, he didn't necessarily make them at that high of a rate, but he was about an average shooter, a little bit above average. And the same, Isaiah wasn't quite as far above average in volume, but it, it's a similar profile of, they took a lot of shots. They basically made a league average rate over the course of their careers. So they probably could, you know, if you look at NBA three-point shooting now versus in the past over that span where you mentioned that the, the volume and the number of makes had gone up a lot. The percentage really has not budged that much. I think they're shooting the highest percentage ever this year. But uh, as a general rule, you would think, oh, diminishing returns. They're taking a lot more threes. They must be making fewer of them percentage-wise. Nope, it's basically the same as it was uh, you know, going back uh, decades and decades. And so I think that that is a case to be made that both of those guys could have ported over their, you know, kind of league average uh, or maybe a little bit better shooting percentage over the larger volume of shots that guys take now. Now, I will say Isaiah was a better driver. Uh, he was slightly better defensively, played for much better defensive teams. I think in general, you know, you think about the bad boys, that was kind of a, um, a cornerstone of what they did. Uh, but Hardaway was a more efficient offensive player. If you look at points generated per 100 possessions and they both, this, this is what really got me. So we have this metric at 538 Raptor. Uh, don't ask me to say what the, uh, the acronym stands for, but it has a wins above replacement component that can break out into both the playoffs and the regular season. So Isaiah Thomas in the regular season, 103.4 career wins above replacement, Tim Hardaway, 103.0 career wins above replacement. So they essentially had exactly the same regular season value like i said the postseason value went to isaiah he played more games for sure and also just you know was more durable i think and and got a slightly earlier start to you know his his star career his uh, uh his his team leading career um but really it was kind of eye-opening to look at that because a lot of people rank isaiah as one of the top handful of point guards ever to play and i think if you do that uh you have to kind of give some room in that conversation for uh tim hardaway as well uh as being a kind of on the smaller side guard but kind of strong you know tough guy could shoot some scores a lot, great distributor and um, just profiles. I think both like, like more like the modern guards, like you mentioned, both of those guys could, could play in today's NBA. I think. Yeah. I, I really like that Isaiah Thomas um, comp. Uh, I, I was not thinking of him, but in terms of size and both Chicago guys as well, both came from Chicago. Um, excellent scores at the point guard position. And Isaiah was definitely ahead of his time there because he, he um, I forgot what playoff game it was, but I think he dropped like 25 in that fourth quarter. It was one yeah. of the best. On a, on a messed ever. up ankle, I think. Yeah, also. his ankle was messed up. Um, it makes me laugh, though, when it comes to, you know, the three-point line got started uh, very er or like very – he was at the very beginning of all of that, and you said he was, for his time, a good three-point shooter, and I it always sticks with me because <laughs> I'm aware of that, but – uh, Neil, in 83, he was second in the NBA in three-point percentage. What do you think uh, it was, being second gonna, in the league? I'm going to guess like 30%. 29% that year. He was second in the NBA, okay? And he made a total of 36 threes. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's insane how it changed. But, yeah, for that time, he, he was one of the best. And, again, if he comes up in the NBA today, he's practicing threes all the time. He's shooting them in a clip. He, he would shoot. I mean, he was a good shooter. It's just they didn't shoot him back then. They weren't practicing that then. So it's you got to take it for what it was. But I, I love the Isaiah Thomas comp. 
I had down really quickly um, Nate Tiny Archibald, just because, oh, yeah. again, another shorter guy. Um, not Definitely not as good as Isaiah Thomas, so it might be a little more um, of a close in terms of when you think of the all-time great point guards comparison. But the reason why I, 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 I gravitated Archibald, one, he was actually, okay, his nickname's Tiny. He's actually taller than Hardaway. He was 6'1". <laughs> Um, hey, both, Tim Hardaway, Tim Bug. You know, there's exactly. a reason they call him Tim, Tim Bug. Tim Bug, Tiny Archibald. Um, they actually, he went to UTEP too. So he oh, went wow, to El Paso okay. too. So I didn't even know that. That just was a coincidence when I started looking it up. Was that, um, was that, was it known as Texas Western at the time? I think was it was Texas that? Western still. Cause that was, was that he on that the championship six, team? He was in not, the 60s? he came okay. right after that. Cause yeah. he, he played throughout the seventies. Um, he was not on that famous team, but the reason I gravitated to him is cause he was a scorer too. He, I, I always remember this like at early age. He was the only guy. I think it's happened now since, but at the time he was the only guy to ever lead the league in scoring and assists in the same season. Yeah. Um, he had a, he had a season in 73 for Kansas city, not a franchise anymore. Um, but where he averaged 34 points a game, and 11.4 assists. And that always stuck with me as a kid. Like, wow. Like how does a point guard do that growing up? That's not what point guards did. Um, you know, Tim Hardaway never led the league in scoring or assists, but, he was a guy who was both, you know, high on, on both ends of that spectrum. Um, 92, he was sixth in the NBA in scoring, 23.4 points per game. And he was uh, third in the league in assists at 10 assists a game. So not at the level of leading the league in anything, but he still, I mean, he had multiple seasons with over 10 assists a game. His career average was eight assists or over eight assists a game, which, which is great for a point guard. And then, yeah, scoring wise, I believe career wise around 18 a game. So not quite Archibald's level, but at the same time, similar type of could score at the point guard position, excellent distributor. Um, Archibald, just like Isaiah Thomas, did win a championship um, with Boston in 81 near the end of his career. So I think that's a knock on Hardaway, right? Never even made to the finals, never won a championship. You like to see that from your point guard. Um, but again, he was running into the Bulls in the Eastern Conference when he was on the Heat. I don't know if you can really hold that against him. And again, those Warriors teams just never really had the parts to get there. But again, Archibald, Isaiah Thomas, they do have that kind of playoff pedigree. They have that championship pedigree that Hardaway doesn't have, which again, can maybe hurt your case when you're comparing against these. But I love the Isaiah Thomas one. Archibald one, I think, makes sense too. Both little guards that could score, which was who Hardaway was. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's interesting, too, that you mentioned um, that it had never happened in history that a player led the league in scoring and assist. I think it has uh, happened since with at Was least James Harden, Harden or possibly okay. also uh, Westbrook. Yeah, both of those guys. But now when we think about, you know, how what's the term now? Heliocentric. Uh, the the game of basketball is now with the the primary ball handler you can't even necessarily call them point guard anymore because exactly. they just do everything that uh that's the way the game is played now it's a lot more conducive to being someone that scores a lot assists a lot in Westbrook's case at his peak even rebounded a lot uh and so I think that in the case of Hardaway and Archibald that's such a great comp because they were both ahead of their time for playing in a way that could be ported over I think to the modern game and there's probably something to be said for that that's not often how we think about Hall of Fame players but maybe there is something about the case for someone as a Hall of Famer it should include like 
was your game more like the players that came before you or more like the, the players that came after you? And if the, if the latter is true, that's probably a good case for you. It means that you were sort of ahead of your time. You're at the vanguard of movements that, you know, eventually ended up playing out and maybe you even influenced those in the history of the game. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I actually, Looked it up now, Neil. Uh, neither Harden or Westbrook did in the same season. Harden led the league in assists in 2017 and then led the league in points the next three years and then assists after that year. Oh, he but must never have just missed season. it. Yeah. And, and same with Westbrook. So Archibald, uh, it had to be one of those two if it has happened. So yeah. Archibald still might be the only one. And and honestly, I, I could see I could see Harden or uh, Westbrook's probably near the tail end here and Harden now with the Nets might not have another chance, but I mean, that is tough. I, I, I'm sure they were like second or, I mean, I'm looking at his assist totals when he was leading the league. It's up there, but that, that's a tough thing to do. But I think Russell Westbrook can sleep easy at night knowing he's averaging triple doubles uh, for multiple seasons. So Right. I, I would rather surpass Oscar <laughs> Robertson than Tiny Archibald anyway, I think, in the pantheon of great players. I mean, all great players, but I think Oscar is on a different level from everyone we've talked about. Exactly. And real quick, too, while you have Oscar up, one thing that came up again, this is you can kind of take it for what it is. But Tim Hardaway did come to the league very um, hot coming out. He reached 5000 points, 2500 assists faster than any other NBA player other than Oscar Robinson. Wow. Had to just I did throw not it out because you said Oscar Robinson. Yeah, that's a great that stat. Yeah. yeah, that really speaks to how great he was early in his career, I think. Yep. All right, Neil. So moving to the final segment here, uh, court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Uh, this is where we kind of make the case for, case against, and we've been doing it throughout. So, what, you know, when it comes to his case for, you know, we mentioned the five all NBA teams. I think that's big because he was one of the better point guards of the 90s, three-point sh- shooter ahead of his time, all of that. Is, is there anything we haven't really hit on in terms of, you know, what, like, what is his main case? I think it's, he's one of the better point guards of the nineties. He made all those all NBA teams. He's an all-star three point shooter. What else really would be a bullet point for you making the case for Tim Hardaway to, to be in the hall of fame? Yeah, well, beyond uh, the things that we talked about, I found, uh, so Basketball Reference has a Hall of Fame probability metric that sort of takes into account all the things that voters tend to look at when they're deciding who should be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, Tim Hardaway is at 79%, which is higher than a number of players who are, you know, kind of similar, contemporary, whatever you want to call them, uh, fellow guards that are already in the Hall of Fame, like Joe Dumars or Gail Goodrich is another name in there. So, you know, if you're going to put, uh, some of those guys in the hall of fame. Also, uh, we have to say that if you're going to put Mullen and, uh, you're going to put Mitch Richmond in the hall of fame, that we just laid out a case that, uh, out of run TMC, Tim Hardaway, at least at his peak. And especially when they were playing together, when they were playing the playoffs together, he was the best one of those three in terms of talent, uh, or, or in terms of, you know, uh, just pure playing ability. I think that that, if you're better than two guys that were your teammates that are already in the hall of fame, that's a pretty good case for you to also be in the hall of fame. Uh, my other thing that I have written down, which I think is uh, the most important factor of all, I don't know why it's not in basketball references uh, model, but Tim Hardaway was on the cover of NBA live 98, which to <laughs> me 
if you were, I guess that means we also have to put Antoine Walker, who was in the cover of NBA Live 99. Maybe this isn't the best metric. But anyway, to me, that was like the first NBA Live uh, that I had on like uh, PlayStation. And so I like will always remember him. Granted, Mitch Richmond was also on NBA Live 97. So they must have had like a thing for... Richmond was my I'm first CMC. NBA live and, and yeah. that's why I associate him with the Kings so much. Yeah, it, exactly. That was a beautiful cover by the way. Uh, and, and yeah, I think there's something so cool about and iconic about being a, um, cover athlete for a, for a video game back in those days that, uh, I think that that has to be maybe like, maybe that's a tiebreaker. Maybe that's a little bone, you know, small bonus point in his favor, but he was on the cover of that game. I loved I, that game. So. Yeah. Neil, it's, it's so funny you brought that up because I actually looked up that this morning. Um, it, it wasn't like it crossed my mind because I was like, I feel like I, I've seen Tim Hardaway in a cover with a heat jersey on. And sure enough, <laughs> it was NBA Live 98, Richmond, yeah. NBA Live 97. I, I remember I had it for my computer, which yeah. I don't know how I was playing those games on my computer, but I remember that. And it, no, that honestly, it's it's funny you say it because it's kind of true, right? If you look at the breakdown of players that are on a cover of a video game and if they're a hall of famer or not i'm sure the majority of the cover athletes are in the hall of fame today honestly i think that's a future piece for you could right i mean there's the pain hillis <laughs> but isn't there the world, a curse course, yeah i was gonna say well, isn't the there Madden a curse, curse. I don't know there's no NBA, nba live curse nba live curse but yeah if you look through the nba live i actually just pulled up now almost every name on here is a hall of famer oddly enough the first one 95 do not remember this Robert Ori and John Starks were on the cover together. I guess Very it was from the 94 finals. Yeah, it, was like it a is. Scene from the it finals. Is. I don't know why they're the ones they're grabbing from the night. But, but then it's like Shaq, Richmond, Hardaway, Walker, as you said, but then Duncan, Garnett, Duncan, Steve yeah. Franchise. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's, you're more like Carmelo you're, is in there at some yeah, point. Yeah, think about it. You're one of the most popular athletes of that time if you're making a cover. That's all that really means. And, it, and I think it is funny you say that. So, um, I want to get back to your kind of one of the points you just made, though. This was actually my next question to you. So it's funny you brought it up. The TMC team, you know, we, we the run TMC team, we, we said that we kind of built a case that Hardaway was the best player on that team. Um, if you had to rank those three, Mullen, Richmond, Hardaway, how are you ranking them in terms of, you know, best, best to worst or worst to best on that team? Yeah, well, probably, uh, you know, when I looked at at least on like a per possession basis when they played together, uh, Hardaway was the best on that if you use like, uh, you know, Raptor plus minus or uh, I think it's probably true also if you use like box plus minus or any of the the metrics Um, in terms of Hardaway uh, in terms of Richmond versus Mullen. That one's pretty tough. Uh, I didn't actually look at that particular comparison across their career, um, but that one to me is a little bit more of a push than than Hardaway against either of the other two, which is why I think he was the best player on that team. I guess most people would probably rank like Richmond above Hardaway or kind of close those two and then Mullen third, but uh, I, I think it should probably be flipped. I think it should probably be Hardaway, Richmond, Mullen. Yeah, I, I go, I honestly might go Hardaway, Mullen, Richmond. I got, oh, wow. Okay. Mullen, you know what, you know what has me? Uh, it, it's nothing by the numbers. I think numbers would favor Richmond. I think all NBA teams would probably favor Richmond. Mullen being on the 92 Dream Team. Oh, and, yeah. And, and them saying he was like, he was like one of their first uh, after like the big guys like Jordan Barkley 
uh, Pippen. He was like one of the main guys they needed on that team. And I think that speaks volumes just because that entire team's a Hall of Fame class other than um, Christian Laettner. And so, uh, Isaiah so, famously not on that team. Yes. So maybe Mitch, uh, maybe Chris Mullen better than Isaiah. So, so <laughs> I, I think that speaks volumes. So I, I would actually go Hardaway, Mullen, Richmond. But regardless, as you said earlier, right, Richmond, Mullen are in the Hall of Fame already. We're possibly leaving the best or maybe at the worst second best player on those teams. Does that mean something? And then also those Miami Heat, the Miami Heat team, you know, Alonzo Mourning, Hardaway. Who who would you say was more important to that team's success, Hardaway or, or Mourning? Yeah, I, I think it's really close when we're talking about those peak seasons, especially 97. I think probably Mourning had the better career or most people would consider him the more impactful, you know, valuable player at that time. Um, but uh, I do think that at their peak, uh, Hardaway was more valuable to the to the 97 heat specifically. Yeah, I would say that too. And again, mornings are in the hall of fame. So it's just another thing there. Um, so he was so a hall we, of famers, hall of famer. That's, <laughs> that's what we can say. Exactly. That Tim Hardaway. And, and also just real quick, while we were talking about the 92 dream team, Tim Hardaway was on the 2000 Olympic team that won gold. So oh, Tim the, Hardaway, the, yes. the Vince Carter jumps yes. over Frederick Vice team. That was, was that 2000 or was that 2004? No, 2004 was no, 2004 was, the, was the crushingly so, disappointing. Yeah, so he team. was on the Vince Carter team. I guess Vince Carter was super young on that team. So yeah, 2000 team was that in Sydney? Sydney, yeah. So Hardaway, I mean, that was near the end of his career, but he was a gold medalist. So again, you're being you're on that dream team. Like it wasn't the dream team in 2000, but they won the gold. Still, he's a gold medalist. That does mean something. Again, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's international experience. He's a gold medalist. So it was it was Dream Team Three. You know, we call I them call Dream Teams. Dream team three we year. call them Dream Teams when when they win gold, right? I, I guess. <laughs> I guess. All right. So Neil, this is what I was looking forward to the most. Been hitting at it for a while here, but I think this is super important. Honestly, talking about Tim Hardaway's candidacy, um, we've kind of hit it across the across a, a couple different things here, but. When it comes down to it, it's it's how how do you compare against your contemporaries, who you were playing against during that time? Because again, if you look at his stats, especially scoring compared to players today, he doesn't look very great. I mean, point guards today lead the league in scoring. Point guards today win the MVP. I mean, if you look at the 2010s, Curry won two, Westbrook won one, Harden won one. If you consider him a point guard, Derrick Rose won one. In the yeah. 90s. There's no one winning an MVP. And honestly, in the 80s, Magic Johnson was, but it's Magic Johnson, okay? 90s point guards are not winning MVP trophies. So it's just different. So it's not fair to compare him against who's playing today. It's, it's fair to compare him against who's playing in the 90s. So what Neil and I are going to do, and I did prep Neil. I'm not catching him completely off guard here. <laughs> but we're going to build out our own 90s point guard Rushmore's to kind of see where does Tim Hardaway fit? Where would we draft him if we're ranking the best point guards from the 90s? So this is how this is going to work. We had to set some criteria here because we could go all over the place here. The point guard had to at least play five years in the 90s. So players like Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, whose careers bled in the 90s, even though Magic was still making all NBA first teams in the early 90s, didn't play far enough in the 90s to be considered a 90s point guard. He's an 80s point guard. Same with Isaiah Thomas. So they cannot be considered here. Also, I had to draw a line somewhere in terms of, because there's some really good point guards that got in the league late in the 90s. I had to draw a line in, in the point guards there. So 
you know, five years in the 90s, that means anyone who was drafted in the 99 dra- or 90, 1995 draft or earlier is eligible. But someone like Allen Iverson, who I don't even know if we consider a point guard, we don't have to have that controversy here because we're not going to consider him in 96. He's not eligible. Someone like Stefan Marbury, who I would love to talk about, he is not eligible. Steve Nash. Future episode. Exactly. That's definitely a future episode for sure. But but those guys aren't eligible. So again, had to at least play five years in the 90s. If you if you're listening to this and there's you're like, how is he not being brought up? I'm sure it's because he's not eligible. So that is what we're talking about. One more thing. Again, it's 90s point guards. So someone like Jason Kidd, who is he, he's eligible here. He was drafted in 94, so he's eligible. He only made two all-star games though in the 90s. The best parts of Jason Kidd's career is in the 2000s. So he is eligible here, but it's really just how he did in the 90s. So like when he was on the Nets, taking those teams to the finals in the 2000s, that does not count here. So again, if we were talking about just best careers of players who start in the 90s, Jason Kidd would be much higher than maybe we're going to select him today. So that's the criteria. Take it for what it's worth. Neil and I still probably are looking at this a little differently, which will be fun to see how this pans out. But Neil, we're each going to draft four people. It's going to be a snake draft. So whoever drafts first, the next person will get two picks, then two picks back and forth. We didn't talk about this before, though. Neil, you're the guest. Do you want to have the first pick or do you want me to have the first pick and you get the next two? How, how do you want it to play out here? Uh, that is a great question because, um, the, the real question is which of us drafts Tim Hardaway? How do we set up so that one of us can do that? That's the ultimate prize here. Uh, I am going to give you first pick. All right. I, I planned it out. Like you would, Neil, you're a smart guy. I figured I, in a snake draft, I, especially if it's just one-on-one here, I would want two picks in a row. So I thought you were a smart guy. I figured you'd do that. So I kind of drafted this out with that in mind. So my first one, <laughs> I don't think this should be too big of a shocker. Maybe someone will come at me and say, you know, they had someone different. I'm picking John Stockton. Um, In the 90s alone, eight All-NBA team selections, including two firsts, and we said how tough it was to be selected that team in the 90s. You know, he led the league in assists from 1988 to 1996, including three seasons in the 90s where – it seems, again, this is where different time periods, just different things are happening. I've always been told they inflated assists a little bit in the <laughs> late 80s, 90s. but Just the home scorekeepers. In, in 1990, he averaged 14.5 assists per game. In 91, 14.2 assists per game. In 92, 13.7 <sighs> assists per game. Just those are video game numbers. Also led the league in steals in 92. Um, was always near the top in steals throughout his career. And again, finished all-time leader in assists and steals at the end of the day. Was also a four-time All-NBA defensive team. Made the two finals, of course. Lost to Jordan in 97-98. All-Star game MVP in 93. I don't think there should be too much controversy here, but John Stockton, my number one pick on my Rushmore. Yeah, and uh, I think also a big part of that is he almost never missed a game. Uh, he played oh, yeah. 82 games every year from 91 to 97. So he missed four games in 1990. Uh, he did miss uh, 18 games in 1998, but then he came back and played the entire 50 game schedule because it was the lockout in 1999. So he really, over a whole decade, played almost every game uh, and, and played many minutes per game in those games, 35 minutes a night. So I think that that, uh, yeah, when I was doing the research for this, he was far and away the number one 
overall pick in our point guard draft. So we're sort of at a, at a stalemate after that first one. That's uh, fair. You're up right. next. You got two picks here. All right. With the first of my sandwich picks, I'm going to take Gary Payton, the glove. Uh, I think that he provided a lot of value at both ends of the court. Obviously we remember him on that Sonics team in 96, but I mean, he was another guy that was like really after making his debut in 1991. So uh, Stockton has like a year on him uh, in the league in the nineties, I guess. Uh, After that point though, he also played 82 or 81 games every year for the first eight years of his career. And then also played all 50 games of the 99 uh, lockout season. So he also, I think missed only two games in the whole decade, uh, which speaks to his durability. And he was playing at his peak 40 minutes a night, which is again, something that you don't see uh, nowadays with any star, much less, you know, somebody that is uh, kind of doing so much and asked to do so much at both ends of the court. Uh, and yeah, I, I think Gary Payton, um, is, is kind of an easy pick. Now here comes the hard pick, the third pick, uh, because I have two options here. One of which is a guy that we literally just spent 50 minutes talking about and the, and making the case, I think a decent case to be in the hall of fame, but there's another guy in there that I have to pick because I grew up in Atlanta I'm an Atlanta Hawks uh, fan. I worked for the Atlanta Hawks uh, for a time. I'm going to take Mookie Blaylock as my third pick uh, here. I think that uh, he is criminally underrated on a per possession basis. I think he was as good as Tim Hardaway um, and he played more minutes surprisingly people don't really remember Mookie Blaylock being as good as he is. I think we could, perhaps you already have i don't know whether you've already done a pot of fame on him but mark me down for the mookie blaylock pot of fame in the future but yeah i think i think this is a guy that was if you look at the hawks yes they didn't um make a super deep playoff dent they always ran in the bulls it felt like and and lost um but he was really the driving force behind that uh even when you take into account Dikembe, even when you take into account Steve Smith and some of these other guys, um, he had huge impact on versus off the court for the years that we can track that. So Mookie Blaylock is my pick over Tim Hardaway. I betrayed the podcast uh, by making that pick. (laughs) Neil, I'm going to have to bring you on for Mookie Blaylock because I had him nowhere near the third selection. So you just like you altered my, Gary Payne was my number two. That was easy. I even considered for number one. That makes perfect sense. Mookie Blaylock, love Mookie Blaylock. My, my best friend is obsessed with Mookie Blaylock. He almost wanted to come on just to do that. He is like, he's just a random guy that loves Mookie Blaylock. We grew up in Chicago. I don't know why. I think the Bulls had some series against them and he, he was just like a lockdown defender. Um, excellent player, severely underrated and would love to have you on to the advanced stats, by I, the I way. Your, I need your insights yeah. on Mookie because I don't know if I have them as well as you do here, but well, um, the advanced but- stats, just word to the wise, the advanced stats freaking love Mookie Blaylock, especially the plus minus ones when you look back. And he's a guy that consistently shows up far higher than anyone would have dreamed uh, in these kind of retrospective analyses. So that's kind of what I'm basing it on. No, I, I, I love it. Um, I'm interested to know what the Twitter followers think uh, when they when they see that one up there. But number three, so... Again, just to quickly recap, I have Stockton number one. Uh, Neil just took Gary Payne, Mookie Blaylock for his first two selections. For my next two selections, wow, I, I have I have some top-tier point guards here available. Yeah. So 
my first one is Tim Hardaway. Um, man of the hour. I don't even say too much more. The five all NBA team sold me. And then we haven't talked about this really. Uh, Neil mentioned it earlier a little bit about that 97 season. He was fourth in MVP voting, but he also had two other seasons where he was a top a 10 MVP finisher. So three top 10 MVP finishes in the nineties. Um, we've covered him quite a bit. I have no problem taking him fourth here. I did not think he would be available. Um, so I'm very happy to get him. Uh, uh, was, my... was Mookie Blaylock a reach? I, I probably could have waited, hey, gotten no, no, some no, value it's, it's with right, him it's later. All right. you, you, you took him and he's up there and Hey, represent Atlanta. That's great. Um, so I got Tim Hardaway for my second pick. Um, for my third pick, I'm picking KJ, Kevin Johnson, um, Phoenix Sun. So he made four All-NBA teams in the 90s. We keep talking about how hard that is. Um, he, he was essential on those Suns team, made the 93 finals um, with the Suns and Barkley. Uh, you know, his peak season on the Suns, he's going like 20 and 12. So again, it's kind of a scoring point guard before that was really a thing. Um, also dishing it out at a high rate, 12 assists a game. That's up there in the top five there. And then he was top 10 in MVP votes um, for four seasons, actually, 91, 92, 94, 97. So he was one of the boy, best, better point guards during that time period. Not in the Hall of Fame today, has been a nominee uh, many times since he's retired. Um, but one of the better point guards, one of the more athletic point guards could really get up there and kind of dunk it down. Honestly, not as athletic, but reminding me of when Steve Francis came to the league, Kevin Johnson was kind of maybe the first iteration of Steve Francis. Steve Francis took it to maybe a 45-inch vertical um, difference there and didn't, of course, play as long. But Kevin Johnson there as my number um, three guy, I'm very happy with. So I'm at Stockton, Hardaway, and Kevin Johnson now. Very happy so far, <laughs> Neil. I'm not going to lie. Um, you, got, you got your two more selections here to kind of round out your Rushmore. Um, who, who would you like to pick with your last two? So I'm going to uh, pick up Mark Jackson. I think he's kind of a uh, defining point guard, like pure point guard of that era, not not the scorer by any stretch of the imagination uh, that Tim Hardaway was. Um, but he was sort of the quintessential like assist man uh, uh, point guard. I think you'd also put uh, a guy that I'm considering but uh, am not going to take. I think Rod Strickland is in that same conversation. Um, as sort of like a pass first kind of point guard type guy. Um, and then, you know, here's a question of peak value versus durability, peak value in the nineties, it still qualifies someone. And I'm going to go ahead and take Penny Hardaway, uh, in, in that slot. I was thinking I about, I was about to get him at the end. I was like, that's going to be an excellent. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I was, I was thinking about, you know, can we really give him credit, uh, for, you know, because he was injured for so like he didn't, he got a late start into the nineties, uh, just in terms of when his draft class was, and then was injured for the back end of the nineties. So really is like off of those Orlando magic years, uh, for the most part, but on kind of a per possession basis, he was better than, uh, Mookie. He was better than Gary Payton during those years, actually on a per play basis. So, um, I, I got to give him, put him on my Mount Rushmore. So I've got Payton, Mookie Blaylock, uh, Mark Jackson, Penny Hardaway. I can live with that as a nineties, uh, point guard, uh, Rushmore. No, it, P Penny Hardaway. I mean, he was on my list. I honestly, he was, I was flip-flopping so much just cause you said it at Penny Hardaway's peak for those of you that did not see, I mean, he was one of the top five players in the league. 
Um, you know, he, he brought with Shaq that magic, that young magic team in the finals in 95. Um, number three in MVP voting in 96. He was a three-time All-NBA, even though he got started getting injured late in the 90s. But um, two All-NBA first teams, I mean, that's more than anyone on this list other than Stockton and Payne. Um, Hardaway, you know, made a first team once. Um, I think that's it out of anyone else. Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, Hardaway, Payne, and Stockton, you know, they made it. And then Har Har Penny Hardaway's making it twice. At his peak, one of the best players of the decade, just injuries derailed it which is why Penny Hardaway is now in the Hall of Fame today. And I don't know if he'll ever get in because um, unlike Grant Hill, who kind of figured out how to come back very later on in his career and make some sort of a role-playing career and played late into, like, I think he made it to 40. Penny Hardaway, after those injuries, never, ever was the same, unfortunately. And again, he was a six-foot-seven point guard, which um, today's game is not as crazy, especially since as we've been talking about people like Luka Doncic play point guard. Now it's, it's like anyone who's the top guy. I mean, Giannis was playing point guard for a little bit. Like Ben Simmons is huge, but in the nineties, a six foot seven, no one had seen that really since magic. Um, and it was just kind of a sight to be seen a scoring guy again. So Luka is a really interesting comparison for Penny Hardaway. I think that that it kind of tells you about what kind of player Penny was and also how ahead of his time he was. I, I think also, Another guy that wore number one for the Magic, uh, Trace McGrady, uh, is someone that, you know, had a career that was a Hall of Fame career, but kind of marred by injuries. But he was able to kind of play long enough to at least get credit for, you know, how great of a player he was. Not as sure about Penny Hardaway. Yeah. So, um, again, my last selection here, I'm, I'm very happy to get him at the end. Honestly, I was between him and KJ um, for like earlier on the draft, and that is Mark Price. Okay. Um, another guy, you know what, now that we're going through this list, so many players had serious injuries in the nineties and we're not yeah. the same. So Mark price was another guy often injured, but at his peak, one of the better players, one of the better point guards of, of the nineties, almost like a, a 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% free throw shooter for his career. Um, kind of a Steve Nash prototype, really in some ways. a Steve Nash prototype, not as, I wouldn't say not as creative as a floor general, not as, I mean, it was just a different pace of play back then, but three all NBA first teams. He, he actually, I, I, I was wrong earlier. He made a first team in the nineties as well. Um, so again, keep talking about how hard it is to make a first team in the nineties. He did it made two thirds as well. Three time all-star three top, top 10 MVP finishes. I mean, he was shooting in the forties from the three point line, his entire career just didn't shoot the volume they shoot today. Um, but was a, a score distributor played for some really good Cavs teams that just, again, is the East was brutal back in the early nineties. Just couldn't get out. Just injuries really derailed his career. Never could really put together too many consecutive seasons where he was playing, but again, was averaging 10 assists, several seasons. Um, excellent, efficient score just did not shoot enough. Steve Nash, excellent comparison to, to price, just maybe a little quicker, more athletic, but Price was just a knockdown shooter um, that I don't think gets his due just because he didn't play that much. I mean, when you look at points over his career, like I think it's only like 10,000 career points just kind of hurts him. But at his peak, one of the better players of the 90s. So to recap, my Rushmore, John Stockton, Tim Hardaway, Kevin Johnson, Mark Price, Niels Rushmore, Gary Payne, I would say the surprise of the draft, Mookie Blaylock. 
um, Penny Hardaway, Mark Jackson. So again, I don't, I can't, no one's here to declare a winner. I'll throw it up on Twitter, uh, Neil, throughout the week. If you're listening today, please make sure you vote on that. I'll throw it up on, let's say, Wednesday of the week, give people a few days to listen to this. You decide. I mean, I'm going to be biased. I really, I'm feeling good about mine. I got the star of the day. I think people well, will. Yeah, well. I think people will give you credit for the for the Tim Hardaway pick. Hey, Atlanta fans, though, that listen, I do have a good. I can look at the metrics. We have a good uh, following out in Georgia. <laughs> um, maybe they will boost them. I mean, they're going to gravitate to Mookie. So we're, we'll see what happens. But that is our Rushmore. That was fun. I think, you know, the point of this exercise, though, outside of talking about the 90s, being a little nostalgic here, Neil, let's talk about where Neil or where, where Tim Hardaway fits. And again, he, he's fitting three or four, maybe, of the best point guards of the 90s. And I kind of have this my own formula on my hand, whenever I do these podcasts, especially around basketball, I always say if you're top five at your position for a decade, not that you should be in the hall of fame, but you need to be a part of the conversation And Hardaway, I think easily, I think we would both agree is a top five point guard of the decade of the nineties. So I think this is, I mean, he, he deserves the conversation. If you look at any other decade, top five point guards of that decade, I didn't do the research before the pod, but I'd go on a limb and say they're probably in the Hall of Fame today for most positions. Not all the time, but top five and sometimes more does fit the criteria, which is why that's kind of my made-up methodology of how you kind of critique people based on their contemporaries. Um, Neil, so again, that's kind of case four. Case against, um, you know, I have a couple things jotted down here. I want to know why you might think he's not in the Hall of Fame today. A few things I want to call before I turn over to you. Shooting percentage lifetime, 43% from the field. Not, not great career um, in terms of average, even for that time period. It's, it's pretty low. We talked about earlier, never made to the finals. Um, one of the things we didn't really mention, but his career is pretty short, um, short, short and sweet. He didn't make it to the NBA till he was 23. Then he missed that entire 93-94 season. Um, really didn't play. I mean, never didn't even play over 900 career games, which hurts. You know, we talked about how he's a good scorer, but he scored just over 15,000 points in his career. It's 133rd all time in NBA history, which is not really Hall of Fame worthy. And when you look at point guards that have more points than him all time, here's some names on this list, Neil, of people that have more points for his career than Tim Hardaway. Sam Cassell. Terry Porter, Andre Miller. Hey, Terry Porter was going to be high on my list. I was thinking about Terry I, Porter. I almost on my put Terry Rushmore. Porter, but Terry Porter, Andre Miller, Derek Harper, Stefan Marbury all have more career points than Tim Hardaway. Damian Lillard, who still has a number of years to go, already has more points than Tim Hardaway. So from he a, might have from, more this season. <laughs> Probably more three-pointers, right? Yeah, I think um, that's right. But but that's the thing. Like, career-wise, it's not baseball. Like, like career stats don't matter as much, but they do matter to an extent. And 15,000 points isn't that impressive when it comes to looking at careers. Um, Assists-wise, he has just over 7,000 assists, which is 18th in NBA history, which is actually pretty high up there. But when you look at overall career, didn't really play as long as some other point guards doesn't have those career stats. So I think that hurts him to you. What really hurts Hardaway's career? Why do you think the guy retired? What? 18, 17, 18 years ago. Why do you think 
maybe he's not in the Hall of Fame yet or hasn't made that push to be in the Hall of Fame yet. Yeah, I think the longevity issue is a huge one. He only played more than 54 games in a season once after the age of 31 uh, and was pretty much done as a star level or really even like an effective level player by age 35. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like John Stockton where you tack on another, you know, six years after that of playing 40 minutes a night, 82 games. Uh, Stockton was a freak. We can all kind of <laughs> agree on that. Uh, maybe that shouldn't be the comparison point, but he just didn't have great, Hardaway didn't have great longevity. Um, and he didn't carve out a late career role as a supporting player on sort of a contending team. Like you see from some guys, even like Sam Cassell, I think, uh, you know, was able to, to bounce around and be on teams that uh, were contending type teams. Stefan Marbury, I want to say played for the Celtics one year. It was kind of weird, yep. but like uh, there were, you know, we've seen that from point guards after their prime is over, they're still able to kind of latch on and, and play a role. And, you know, Hardaway tried to do that. He was on the 2002 Mavericks, I want to say, which was a team that was yep. kind of ascendant with Nash and Nowitzki, but they traded him at midseason to Denver. Uh, he was uh, on the Pacers in 2003, which was like the year or yeah, I think it was two years before the malice of the palace uh, kind of wrecked that team's trajectory, yep. but he only played 10 games for that team. So it really was, um, um, he, he didn't have that late career, you know, role player phase. Um, his teams just frankly, were they were usually like pretty good, but not great uh, over the course of his career. If he was the best player or one of the two best players on a team, there was no guarantee that that team would contend for the title. You know, uh, maybe it would, but uh, most of the time it would probably be like the 97 heat are a great example of, you know, good playoff run, but ultimately, lose in the conference final and it's not even that close uh and uh, that really aside from 97 that was the only deep playoff run of his career i also think most of the players like him in terms of their skills were really kind of like a hall of good type player like a jameer nelson for instance had profiles pretty similar to tim hardaway you know i said i was projecting up when making the isaiah thomas comparison if you project down you end up with nelson jason terry daryl armstrong uh, steve francis guys like that that aren't going to be in the hall of fame uh, but they're like hall of good type players so i think you know in some ways you can make the case that Tim Hardaway had a lot in common with that tier of player, even more than Hall of Fame players. And we have to mention the homophobic comments that he made in 2007. I will say he did eventually apologize and helped advocate for legislation legalizing same-sex marriage. So, you know, maybe he atoned for it. It's really not for me to say, but I think it's part of his story and I think uh, is part of the conversation, especially we're having a lot of conversations about things beyond just someone's playing career, playing a role in whether they make the Hall of Fame or not. So I think that that in inevitably will come up as part of that conversation. Yeah, and he has actually been pretty vocal himself of why he's not in the Hall of Fame today. He think is the insensitive comments he made back in, I believe, that 2007 uh, radio interview. As you said, Neil, everything I've read since then is he's become very involved in trying to learn more and understand more about that and be a big advocate. Um, and I, 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 I read up on it after because I kind of had forgotten about that interview that took place. And I... I think it really hurt him in terms of his future career in the NBA, but it looks like he's taken every step since then to really, I mean, I think he apologized that same day yeah. and he's taken every step since then to be more involved, to reach out to individuals. I think when uh, Collins came out, 
he, I, I read an interview. Colin said that Tim Hardaway actually called him, tell him he supported him. And if you need anything, let him know. So he seems like he's very outspoken now about it, which, which is great to see. But again, it's not us to, uh, like, we can't really be the judges of that, but it does look like he is trying his best to atone there. Um, but that is always going to be, you know, it's always going to be on his name. If you Google him, that's always going to come up. So um, that is something to consider as well. Uh, but going to final verdict here, Neil, when it comes to Tim Hardaway's candidacy, two questions for you, like always. One, do you believe Tim Hardaway um, should be in the Hall of Fame? And then two, do you think he ever will get into the Hall of Fame? I would say on the question of whether he should, I would lean that he should just based on the, the positives outweighing the negatives that, that we laid out over the course of his career. And really that 97 season and even the 97 game seven, maybe it takes a little bit too much importance, but I'm, I'm putting weight on that. I'm putting weight on the first team all NBA in that era at guard. You said uh, how difficult that was. Uh, and just the fact that uh, of the players that he played with, that are already in the Hall of Fame, they uh, he was as good as they were, uh, which seems to indicate, if not better, which seems to indicate that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And 79% of players that have a resume like his, you know, you have a 79% chance of making the the Hall of Fame, I should say, if you have a resume like that. So to me, it's he's kind of borderline, but I come down on the um, he should be a Hall of Famer side. And do you think he ever will get into the Hall of Fame? I think he will eventually because I do think that we are kind of appraising players from that era and that particular playing style in a way that's more favorable to him over time. Uh, and so I do think that like once we've kind of cleared off the obvious names from the ballot and we've we've put in the the no doubters, he's going to be showing showing up as like the best player not in the Hall of Fame, the best point guard in particular, I think, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and so... I think he has a better case than the other players that are potentially in that conversation. So I think eventually they're going to put him in. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he should be in the hall of fame. My biggest thing is the all NBA teams. If, if you make six all NBA teams, you're in the hall of fame. It's almost hundred percent across the board. Five is where it gets a little iffy. That's like the Chris Webbers of the world at five people like Tim Hardaway at five, but I think nineties guards, it was very tough to make those teams. And the fact that he was one of the, you know, three or four best, three or four best guards just in general during that time, I think speaks volumes. And then, yeah, our contemporary conversation, you know, if he was the third best point guard of a decade, I feel like he should be in the hall of fame. And that's kind of where I stand in terms of, do I think he'll get in? I do. I actually think it could be this year. It's a pretty weak class uh, coming up. I think the only sure things I see are, are Paul Pierce um, and who, I believe made less all NBA teams just throwing out the all NBA teams than Tim Hardaway. And then uh, Tony Kukoc, I see being automatic almost this year. Other than that, I think Tim Hardaway is a good chance. So that's what I see too. I, I agree with you completely. I think on the Kurilenko, we disagreed on this. I think on Sheffield, we agreed. I think this is the second time we're agreeing, which is nice. If we bring you on for bad radio, though, if we bring you on for Mookie Blaylock, you're going to have to really come here hard with a case. Um, and, and like, we might have to argue a little bit more there. Cause I don't know if I, I, I see it, but I, I need to learn more apparently I need to be educated. So I look forward to maybe that future conversation, Neil, thank you for coming on as always, always enjoy coming on or having you on every time you come on. I'm like, 
I and Neil are going to try to keep this for an hour. And every time we go over, just because there's so much to talk about, I could continue talking about this more, but we do have to go today. So again, Neil Payne, thank you for joining today. If you haven't already, follow Neil on Twitter. Read him on 538. Neil, take care. We'll have you again. We'll have you on again soon. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. And yeah, looking forward to that Mookie Blaylock pot of fame conversation. All right, take care. All right. So I want to thank Neil again uh, for joining today. Always enjoy uh, having Neil on. We will have him again on in the future. He just brings so much insight and and honestly, he comes so prepared. I always appreciate it uh, with with the Rushmores and stuff. The, the Mookie Blaylock thing, though, not going to lie. I love me some Mookie Blaylock. That threw me off so much. I had my Rushmore here. Everyone else, we kind of went back and forth on. I, I maybe had in a slightly different order, but the Mookie Blaylock pick, he was my ninth guy in the list. He was my maybe, okay, if I'm feeling... If I'm having, if I'm feeling fun at the end, maybe I'll throw Mookie on there just to talk about him a little more. Did not see him coming. So um, that was, that was something that, again, that's maybe Neil seeing beyond what I'm seeing. He has the advanced um, analytics angle that the background I just don't have um, as much as he does. So we will have him on later uh, for Mookie Blaylock, probably several other of these point cards, honestly, from the nineties, just because there's a good batch and, you know, that Rushmore we went through, right? Only two of those eight guys are in the Hall of Fame today. So maybe not getting their dues, those 90 point guard or those 90s point guards. So very interesting there. But again, Neil Payne, great guest to have on always. Always appreciate him having on. Thank you all for listening. If you if you don't already, please subscribe to us on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, follow us on Twitter, especially so you can vote on whose Rushmore was better. Again, I think it was mine. I'm pretty happy with mine. But vote, let Neil and I know who who won that. And we will talk to you next Monday. Thanks.